0: For the New York State AFL-CIO, I'm Darcy Wells and this is Union Strong. He's been on the front lines fighting for the working class for nearly five decades and is not quite ready to stop, but is ready to pass on the torch. Richard Lipsitz is the president of the Western New York Area Labor Federation, AFL-CIO, and he joins me on the podcast to share some stories of labor's fights from the past and to take a look forward to the future for the labor movement. Richard, thank you for joining me.
1: It's my pleasure. Thank you.
0: I've been looking forward to this conversation. So uh, Richard, as the president of the Western New York Area Labor Federation, start by telling us how many union members does that represent in Western New York?
1: We, we have about 145 affiliates and it's an affiliate driven organization, just like the New York state AFL-CIO or the national AFL-CIO. We're part of the AFL-CIO. Uh, we have about 145 affiliated organizations and they embrace about 140,000 workers in the six counties of Western New York, including the cities of Buffalo and Niagara Falls. So okay. it's a it's a fairly fairly robust labor movement.
0: So can you give our listeners an idea of the labor landscape out there in Western New York? Um, you know, sure. Yeah, just give us an idea of what that's like.
1: Well, we we still have the majority. It's a, it's a small majority uh, of of uh, private sector uh, union labor relations, mm-hmm. uh, about 52% of our, of all of our membership, uh, is in the private sector, about 48% in the public sector. When I, and when I say private sector, that includes not-for-profits. Okay. Um, so, so it's still a, a private sector, uh, majority, uh, labor, uh, region. Um, we have about 12% industrial manufacturing, even today, which includes a Three uh, major plants in the uh, two in GM and one at Ford. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of the light uh, manufacturing. We have a big tire plant in uh, Tonawanda, Wanda, New York, and food processing and food production has become a major part of our labor movement as well, especially dairy. Uh, and then, of course, there are uh, the teachers union, CSEA, uh, and Ask Me, um, the uh, firefighters and, and all the various uh, parts of the, the region, um, the, the public sector, which... Uh, is a very large part of our, our movement as well.
0: Okay. And when we talk about the Area Labor Federation, ELF, what, mm-hmm. some people hear that and don't know what that even means on what yeah, it represents. It started, <laughs> it,
1: it was, these, these ELFs were formed about 21 years ago, actually. I think it was 21 or 20 years ago. It might have been 2001, before 9-11 for sure. Uh, it was a consolidation of labor councils under one umbrella for geographic uh, sections of the state of New York, and it, and it happened in other states as well. It was to be a national program. I don't think it ever became a national program, but it definitely happened in New York state, and our region included um, everything west in New York from Rochester, uh, Batavia, right, between Rochester and Buffalo, Batavia, all the way over to Jamestown in the sou- southern tier. So it has all the cities of western New York, including uh, labor councils even now, in Olean, Jamestown, uh, Dunkirk, Niagara Falls, and uh, Buffalo. So the labor councils uh, serve uh, as uh, organizing centers for the uh, area labor federation. The labor federation is essentially the policy uh, uh, set, uh, policy um, center of mm-hmm. our labor movement in Western New York. We take our our lead on legislative questions from the New York State AFL-CIO. Uh, we participate in an endorsement process for Uh, state and um, federal political um, positions from the New York State AFL-CIO or the federal AFL-CIO. Obviously, for uh, the State Assembly, State Senate, uh, governorship, comptroller, uh, attorney general, Mm -hmm. uh, that's all done through the uh, New York State AFL-CIO, but we participate fully in that process.
0: And then I said at the beginning, when I was introducing you, you were talking about almost five decades, 50 years, I think you said maybe 48 years of um, working as a, someone in the labor movement, as a member yourself, as a leader. So how how many years ago is that? We're talking about in the uh, 70s. 40, the,
1: yeah, the first, The first, I mean, it's hard It's hard for me to judge sometimes. But the first actual campaign that I remember participating in, it was really to to hand out leaflets mm-hmm. uh, uh, under the leadership of SEIU. And I, it wasn't called 1199, it was in Washington, D.C. at the George Washington University Hospital. A major campaign to organize the uh, blue collar there was taking place and uh, I got involved in it. And, uh, and I've actually uh, done nothing but labor union work as the main kind of work uh, for me uh, ever since. So I let me ask you, them. though. Um, yeah. So
0: when you were doing that with the leaflets, were you a union member yourself? No, I was a student at that time. So that's I, that's interesting to me, because sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, when you say to people, hey, we just need you to help and, uh, you know, hand out these leaflets. And a lot of people go, oh, because nobody likes someone. No one likes rejection. Right. And that's right. an easy way to get rejection. So you felt, you know, that's that's stepping up for your well, first I, thing I, to do. I'm I'm just wondering what made you want to. Well, I worked. I worked
1: at a, at a. I went to school at George Washington University. and I had a um, a job for three years, at a little office nearby the campus where a lot of the activities of the uh, late '60s and early '70s were organized. So I was um I was like a, a movement activist who had a job. Actually made forty bucks a week or something like that uh, while I was going to school. So I was in that office, and the uh, one of the areas that we were interested in is a. Um, Is a a place uh, was the the, um, organizing the labor unions in the Washington D.C. area, which included Northern Virginia and parts of Maryland. And um, uh, I got asked, "Do I want to participate in this campaign?" It was for no money, Mm -hmm. uh, but it was sort of like what I was doing anyhow. And I uh, I, I said, uh, "Sure," and I went along and and helped them uh, do that. And and there was a team of about twelve or thirteen of us, as I recall. And it was like uh, campaigns today. You know, you uh, some had volunteers, some, somebody was getting paid to organize it back then. And I remember the woman's name, uh, and her, her name was McShirley and, and, uh, and she recruited me to participate in this stuff. And I, I was hooked, but I was hooked before that. I come, I come up in a background that was strongly pro union. Mm-hmm. So I, I shouldn't pretend that that didn't have, that didn't have some impact. It certainly had an impact. Um, after I, I finished doing that, I, I got a job at Roswell park in Buffalo where I was the, um, I was, um, uh, an orderly, and I worked there uh, punching the clock for twelve years. I was a member of um, a CSCEA local, and I I became president of the local union there at age twenty nine.
0: Wow, uh, okay, and
1: yeah yeah uh, twelve
0: hundred people, blue collar union. That's a lot for a twenty nine year old.
1: Yeah, <laughs> you're not kidding. <laughs> and uh, there's stories galore about that, but that's for that's for that's over a beer. That, that's not <laughs> okay right now. um Anyhow, after that, I uh, I got hired by the um, an SEIU local in Buffalo to, to represent hospital workers in about 19, not about in 1987. Mm-hmm. So I've had a professional staff job with the unions uh, every, every year since 1987.
0: So when you were um, at Roswell Park with uh, CSEA, so were you actually involved in negotiating contracts?
1: No, that was, the, that was a time when the, the, it was, Roswell Park was part of the state health department. It was a hospital within that system. And the CSEA uh, negotiated a contract, for the entire state health department, and we were just one um, location with our own local union. Mm-hmm. All the president did there—I don't want to call him or her a glorified steward—but in essence, you handled uh, questions of grievance and uh, and whether or not the contract was being uh, enforced properly at the at that workplace. But you didn't—I was, I wasn't on any na- any statewide committees to negotiate the contract. I didn't uh, negotiate a contract on my own until I had the staff job uh, starting in 87. And then I did a lot of contracts because I I stayed uh, with this SEA local, local, it was called the Western New York hospital council. Mm -hmm. I stayed there uh, until um, I went to work for the teamsters in 95. And I've been with the teamsters ever since during my career with the um, uh, hospital workers. And then with the teamsters, local in Buffalo, big local, I bargained about a hundred contracts, maybe a hundred more than that, maybe a hundred twenty-five.
0: Well,
1: wow, okay. So I bargained a lot of a lot of labor agreements, did a lot of grievances, did a lot of arbitrations, mm-hmm. uh, did the political action for those two unions, for well, for certainly for the Teamsters 264, for a number of years. In fact, I'm still today the um, political action coordinator for the Joint Council of Teamsters 46, and in, in Buffalo, and and I've. Uh, I've been doing that for a while, uh, as well. So, you know, it's, um, it's been busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I became president of the, uh, ALF, the Western New York area labor federation in 2011. Uh, and I got elected three times. I took over for, uh, about
0: a year before the end of the, my predecessor's term. Mm-hmm. And then
1: I've been elected three times since.
0: So you've organized over the years, uh-huh. I just some of that too. Yes.
1: So when yes. I'm
0: curious um you know we're seeing more and more workers organizing yes. right? At newspapers, yes. digital companies, yes. of course Amazon's yes. big organizing effort. Uh, what what do you think what are we seeing right now? Why is that happening? Is it related to the pandemic? Was it on a roll toward this direction? What do you think? Well, it, it doesn't hurt
1: uh, well the, the pandemic certainly is is laid bare the uh, essential contradictions uh, economic contradictions in American life, mm-hmm. and we know that the gap, the uh, income disparity, and the gap between rich and poor has grown uh, exponentially in the last forty years. I date this back to the uh, beginnings of this real pro- this problem. Really, is with Ro- Ronald Reagan's uh, administration, mm-hmm. and uh, I just think that we that we have openings here that we haven't had in a long time, uh, and that uh, the uh, unions are starting to to take advantage of those and starting to really push. I also think the American working class wants. Solutions to problems that have been festering for for a long time—40 years, even maybe even a little longer—but certainly in sharp contrast. Sharp contrast. Uh, during the Reagan era, we had a bit of a respite under Obama, and then the last four years bef- uh, before Biden were were a nightmare. Uh, were just a nightmare from every angle. Uh, not the least of which, uh, the disparity from, between rich and poor uh, grew even uh, grew went even farther than it was before mm-hmm. and you had this whole uh, obscenity with how the covid was handled which hurts working class people way more than than anybody else uh the obscenity uh, obscenity of, over uh the way ra- uh, the way that uh Trump handled racial relations in our country the 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 question of discrimination against the african american and people of color was just horrendous under under a, a, a Trump um And I think that uh, these contradictions, and there are plenty of others, not to to forget the question of global, of the climate change and and where we're going on on global warming, have brought contradictions to such a a, a crescendo Mm -hmm. that the dam is breaking. And I think it's breaking in our direction, but it's not for sure. We're on the cusp, even now, uh, of having either a democracy or a dictatorship. And we saw that play out on January 6th. So you throw all these myriad factors together and you, you have the potential for a strong, strong uh, revival and renewal of the basic reasons that people seek self-organization when they're workers, which is to better themselves, to have a better living standard, to have a better condition of work, to, to be part of a community where, where they can bring their children up in, in relative peace with some relative prosperity, at least some security. And uh, those things are on the tender, they're on tender hooks. They're not for sure right now. I think we can get there. I think that coming out of COVID, we, we can take the, uh, take the uh, drive. We can we keep, keep driving for a better situation. I think, uh, I think uh, we're on the cusp of some, some really important developments, but not without struggle and not without uh, concern that these uh, lunatics who tried to overthrow our government uh, not too long ago, uh, are still being uh, ginned up uh, by the lunatics on these the people on the right who are um, who don't care about anything other than themselves and 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 I think that that's where we're headed. I think that's where we're headed.
0: Well, you know, when it is interesting. um, just recently, you had more than 17 million people watching Meghan Markle with Oprah Winfrey, right, uh, yeah. about what it was like being part of the British royal family. And it was not lost on us in the labor movement that she talked nice. about the benefits of belonging to a union during that interview. She said, yeah. at my old job, there was a union. They would protect me. She was, she was an actress, a member of my union, SAG-AFTRA. So, you know, that's a whole audience that you might not think of in terms of talking about the benefits of labor. That certainly is a help when you hear something like that. But I bring it up because you talk about protecting, too. You know, we often talk about negotiating for better wages and benefits. But when you relate to the pandemic, right, and you, you're you talking about working conditions and all of a sudden people are saying, well, who's going to speak on my behalf if I'm concerned about my safety? Who's going to make sure that I'm safe? What options do I have? Do I have to come in? And, and, you know, I, I think that's a yep. big part of what we're seeing now, too. People are saying, I, I, you know, I need to have that power of uh, more people, that solidarity to be able to speak up about the working conditions. Right. I mean,
1: I, we, we, I think we're seeing a, um, uh, uh, a growth in the con- consciousness of the workers, that solidarity between people who work for a living to fight for uh, a better economic future uh, it necessitates that we participate in politics and we necessitate in fighting for legislation, like the American Rescue Act, like the PRO Act, like an infrastructure bill that will actually make a difference, uh, like um, the the question of of having a fair tax system, which is progressive and not regressive. Mm -hmm. All these things are on the agenda now and in a way that they weren't for quite some time. So I uh, you know, I feel pretty good that, we, that we're that we in the right direction. I feel pretty good. I, but I said it before, I'm, we're not out of the woods on the uh, question of democracy. And we have to mm-hmm. keep that in mind, too. So there's no wall between fighting for democratic rights, for an end to discrimination, an end to violence against people of color, and fighting for the economic interests of working class people. There's no wall between these two things. In fact, I, I take the position, you can't do one without the other successfully.
0: Well, and, I was and, going to and, ask you about that with the social justice um, and labor's role and what we're seeing happening because, you know, the labor movement's the great equalizer, right? So what are you seeing out there in Western New York to address sh- social justice and working with constituency groups to, to make a difference there?
1: Well, we take we've taken pride in our, our program uh, of, uh, first of all, our executive board. I don't know how to do this in order, but our executive board uh, right now, has 24 people, eight people of color. That's 33% of our executive board, which is reflects the population uh, of our region and then some. So we're 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 very proud of that. And all all of our members are elected and or appointed by those who are elected, and they are certainly elected to the ELF E board. So that's that's an important feature of our work that I don't think should be forgotten. Um, the question of, of of finding the ways and means to fight against discrimination in jobs in housing, uh, certainly against brutality and, and violence, came to the head uh, last summer. And we were proud to um, to participate in that struggle. Um, and we and uh, we have uh, strong relations with um, African-American and Hispanic organizations and uh, to fight for the same kinds of goals. So the question comes up all the time, and we try to do our best, and, and we try to be uh, responsive and, and thoughtful. Um, and I think we're, we're we're making good progress around here.
0: So, what are your um, plans now, Richard? So, you're you're going to be um, stepping aside as president of the the Western New York Area Labor Federation, right? Well,
1: the, our annual meeting is the twenty seventh of March. This isn't yet uh, to be. This isn't yet public, uh, but uh, I will be <laughs> stepping aside. Okay. And, it, um,
0: but this is very public, what we're recording right now. So is
1: that I know okay? <laughs> I, depending on when you put it, when we put it out, okay. I guess we should have talked about that. We'll get to this. Um, we might have to deal with this part of it. Uh, the fact is that I'm, uh, yeah, I will be stepping aside and I'm, I'm being given the uh, honorific of emeritus and I do. And that is to be uh, with a certain job responsibilities. So I'm not going to retire. I'm not using the term retire, mm-hmm. but I am definitely going to cut back. Definitely going to cut back. And, um, uh beyond that uh, maybe for today we can hold off on further discussion because we haven't had that election yet
0: and then when you um so let's talk about getting you know younger people involved too right um and right. not necessarily in a role as president, but just even just involved in the labor movement um what do you what efforts uh, you know what headway have you been able to make in that, well, that that's
1: a cha- that's a challenge yeah that's a challenge I mean the fact of the matter is that our workforce is 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 partially uh, people my age and mm-hmm. the and the old end. Uh, there are people who are very young, and there are also people on the, in between. The question of of uh, uh, being responsive uh, to the issues that the uh, young people uh, raise th- this is this is one that every uh, labor leader has to be thoughtful about. Uh, th- the interests of young people isn't necessarily uh, self-identified as the sa- in the same way as the interests of people who are nearer the end of their work career. So within the workforce. You have to be sensitive to, to different age categories. As far as leadership goes, that's another uh, a, a touchy one sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, our labor movement is a democratic movement with a small d. And that means you've got to get elected. I've been elected in my career. I've also been appointed. Uh, and a young person getting elected, isn't, getting elected isn't always so easy. So therefore, the question of, of making sure that there's a program that appeals to young people labor leaders, mm-hmm. uh, an education program, a social program, uh, a program that, uh, speaks to their economic, uh, interests that speaks to their cultural interests, uh, needs to be developed and, 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 pu- and pushed, uh, around here. We've all, we've tried to pay attention, uh, to those kinds of questions. We used to, for example, we used to have a, a movie. We used to do movies and to try to get people to come out, uh, and, and make those movies one that maybe the younger uh, contingent of our movement would be interested in and other things like that. Um, the fact is that COVID has sort of uh, put a, a damper on that for now. Mm-hmm. So coming out of COVID, when we can start having open public meetings again, all I all I think, what I've always uh, recommended is encourage the young workers to come out, mm-hmm. make it a welcoming atmosphere. And then not you don't have to change your views on this or that or or whatever, but just talk to people about where they are in life. What are their needs? What are their wants? And, and go from there. Build a program from there. I don't have any blueprint, Darcy. I'm just saying that it, my experience in organizing and being part of a political slash economic movement or economic slash political movement is if you don't know where people are coming from, what they want, what their, their, their deepest needs and desires are, wants, then you can't possibly develop a program that, that, that uh, reaches them. Mm-hmm. And I think that we're in a perfect position to do that because I hate to say it, you need money to live. How do you get money? You, you got to go to work. So that's, that's, the, that's the leveler. That's what brings everybody together is that people go to work for somebody else. And that thrusts them all in a similar situation day in and day out. So I know it sounds like uh, maybe a lot of generalities, but the fact is if you don't get down and actually listen to people to find out where they are and what they want, what they need, uh, you got nothing. You can talk about youth. You can talk about everything, anything you want, all day long, and it's not going to make any difference. So,
0: you know, it's interesting. We we started talking. We talked about you getting into. The labor movement with leafleting. And now here we are on a podcast, how communication has changed, right? Um, but, you know, still it's back, goes back to that one on one is always such a powerful thing. So I'm just wondering, uh, just to wrap up, if you have any um, yeah. final thoughts on where we're headed. I mean, you laid out a pretty dicey atmosphere that we're navigating right now, but um, are you optimistic about the future? Yeah,
1: I am. I am actually. I, I became optimistic when I saw the United Front develop. Uh, to, to make sure that Trump didn't win another term and, and elected uh, Biden-Harris. And I think that that united front has some staying power. Uh, there'll be tension on the left. There'll be tension on the li- on the right of that. When I say on the right, I don't mean right-wing like uh, the, the QAnon and one of these crazy groups. I'm talking about right compared to uh, where the movement is for social change. There'll be people who are more careful. There are going to be people who want to push harder. and And you have to find the golden mean within that. And I think we can do that as a labor movement. We're perfectly uh, positioned to do that because we fight for the economic rights, the living standards and working conditions, of ordinary working class people who make up the overwhelming majority of the people in our country and and around the world for that matter. And I think that if we put science, international cooperation and reason, reason, thought into our programmatic development, we'll be okay. I also like the fact that, uh, that we have allies, uh, that, and that alliance has changed. Uh, it's, it's, made, it's, it's with people in this united front to oppose uh, a Trump dictatorship or a authoritarian direction in our country and to support uh, economic reforms and economic programs that actually address the ordinary people. The American Rescue Act is a perfect example of that. And I think the PRO Act is a perfect example of that in its current form boy it's a, it's a terrific piece of legislation and if we can push it and we get we get a lot of it we're going to be in much better shape mm-hmm. to organize people into the union Absolutely. so i yeah i feel pretty good i feel pretty good right now uh, with with the caveat being that the, this the, nothing nothing ever happens without struggle to make it better so so we have just have to keep our heads on straight and, and keep uh, keep um, thinking this thing through and, and keep making good strategic decisions. Right now, I think we're doing that and I feel good about
0: it. Well, Richard Lipsitz, thank you for joining me on the podcast and thank you for your dedication and commitment to working people. We appreciate that.
1: Well, thank you for inviting me on this and uh, uh, take care of yourself.
0: Thanks for listening to the Union Strong Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, you can subscribe and give us a rating. This has been a production of the New York State AFL-CIO. Our president is Mario Salento. Our secretary treasurer is Terry Melvin. We're a federation of 3,000 unions representing 2.5 million union members, retirees, and their families with one goal, to raise the standard of living and quality of life of all working people. We keep New York State Union strong by fighting for better wages, better benefits, and better working conditions. For more information on the labor movement in New York, visit nysaflcio.org. Until next time, stay union and stay strong.